PM board bombs. Now, here's doctors Iltafat Hussein and Blake Briggs. to another EM Boards Bomb podcast, NPR version, where we try to make board studying more enjoyable. I'm Dr. Iltafat Hussein, joined by my colleague, Dr. Blake Briggs. Hello, Dr. Briggs. Hello, Dr. Hussein. Could you please introduce our sponsor for this NPR slash EM Board Bombs podcast? EM Board Bombs is supported by DeVita, sodium-free potato chips, allowing you to decrease days to dialysis without cutting out your lifestyle. Also supported by Draperidol Darts. Back and better than ever, Draperidol is now offering blow dart cartridges. And just a reminder to everyone listening, we are talking about the darts. We are not talking about the injections. (laughs) For every 10 to 15 minute episode, we give you high yield board knowledge. We like to say, come for the stems. But stay for the content. Sign up on our website, emboardbombs.com. You'll also find us on Twitter, at emboardbombs. Dr. Briggs, thanks for introducing our wonderful sponsors. Are you ready for this topic? Yes, indeed. An 81-year-old gentleman who is wearing Brooks Brothers clothing, a fedora hat, a tie bar, presents to the ER after he was dining at a posh new steakhouse that just opened up in town. The patient's having body aches and is vomiting. He's an avid user of Yelp and has made it to Yelp Elite status. And he gets these special invites very frequently. He makes sure to tell you this because he says he's planning to drop a Yelp review on this ER visit. In the room, he appears uncomfortable, is talking without issues, tachycardic, has a temp of 100.3, and is normotensive. Chest films reveal a large area of focal consolidation. You also show this to the patient because you're trying to earn that, quote, five out of five star, end quote, on Yelp. Dr. Briggs, which of the following is true? A, the rapid flu test is sensitive but poorly specific. B, Tamiflu therapy should be initiated. C, vancomycin is the primary antibiotic of choice. D, Tamiflu reduces influenza transmission. E, the most common complication of influenza is meningitis. Take a break. Correct answer. The correct answer is CCCC. We're back. Post flu, Staph aureus, influenza. <laughs> Man, I didn't think I could hold that for longer. That was tough. I mean, I really wanted to laugh at that intro. Yeah, so uh, it's going to be back. All right, let's talk about influenza and post flu. Yeah. So, influenza outbreaks. How many people die of the flu each year? And not counting 1918. You know, if I'll be honest with you, if you had asked me before we looked into this topic, I would have guessed eh, maybe around 100,000. Yeah, it's 500,000. We're looking at half a million. Recorded. Right, right. All right. 
So influenza A and B are responsible for usual outbreaks. There's no difference between them. Um, I love it when some patients come in, they're like, I have flu A and B. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay. okay. And like, is that the super flu? I'm like, I don't think so. Um, all right, so who's at risk for dying from the flu? Besides the obvious, immunocompromised. Yeah. 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 So I mean, you're, you're looking at, obviously, the old people, right? People who live in close quarters. So here you're thinking about nursing homes, pregnant patients, people who are obese, and uh, frankly, people with a lot of comorbidities. That's why CDC identifies when it comes to Tamiflu therapy, a lot of these folks that have higher risk factors. The incubation period after exposure, um, you know, it's a pretty quick turnaround and patients become symptomatic, usually within about a day or two here. But Dr. Briggs, can you go into kind of the typical presentation as many of us have seen in the ER? Yeah, I'm going to try to sum it up really well for you. Can I ask you a question first? Of course. You ever been hit by a truck? I was just about to say that is literally the phrase that patients will say. <laughs> really? When they tell me that around flu season, my pretest probability goes up. What, is it an 18 wheeler or, you know? It's a Mack truck. Oh, okay. Oh. Is it Mack or Volvo? Mac truck, bro. Come on. Okay, okay. Yeah, so that's actually what it is. I actually use that in my uh, workup with patients. When I say, like, hey, how'd you start feeling ill? And they're like, yeah, I've just been having this cough for about a week. I'm like, that's not the flu. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, so it's an abrupt onset of headaches, myalgias, malaise, and fever. Right. That's malaise um, in uh, American. So on board <laughs> exams, for a patient to have influenza, two things must be going on here. They actually have to have a fever. And in real life, this is true, too. I mean, if you don't have a fever and you come in with the sniffles, I'm not going to think you have the flu. Um, right. The flu hits hard. It hits fast. You know, if you don't have a fever, you don't have influence on the test. It's fevers, chills, cough, nasal congestion. If you have, like, all those things, your diagnosis adds up to about 80 to 90%, which is pretty good. The problem is there's about 20 million things that cause that, too. <laughs> yeah, a lot. So also in the board question, they like to put that it's during a winter month. So the just about of, to say that. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. Boards also love viral myositis in children. How many times have you seen this with kids? <sighs> you know, I have not. Really? It's actually funny because I've actually, no joke, seen it more than 10 times. Um, in That's fact, amazing. In fact, I'm not kidding around. When I see a kid and they have a fever and I think it may be flu and they're coming in complaining of, you know, the mom says, um, yeah, you know, they just haven't been walking around all day. Like they kind of limp when they walk. It's kind of concerning. Um, obviously you want to check for septic arthritis and that's a whole different talk one day we'll do. But, um, I actually usually examine them by just like squeezing the top of their thigh and usually the kid will just wince in pain. Um, right. and, it, and this is just from the thighs being yeah. most effective. And they just don't want to walk. Yeah. I, that really is the biggest thing. They, yeah. They just, it's not that they can, they just don't want to. Right. Yeah. So what you do here is, you know, oral fluids, but sometimes if it's bad enough here, you just, you know, stick an IV and at the same time you can check a BMP and a CK just to check for rhabdo and then you'd give them IV hydration. And, you know, supportive management, as you would expect. So I thought that was just an interesting caveat to throw in there, uh, that not much talk is a, you know, not much people talk about that, but I think it's an interesting presentation you should know about clinically. Never going to be tested on that, though. For sure. So the diagnosis is clinical. You know, just as we just said, you don't need to test people. So lab studies are not helpful in low-risk patients. Uh, young people and children don't need them if they look well overall. It's a waste of time, a waste of money. That's an area I think we can cut down costs with. Let's talk about the two tests we can do to test for flu, though. You know, the first test is going to be the rapid antigen test. This is the flu swap. Uh, it takes less than 30 minutes, depending on where you're at. And it's very specific, uh, but it's poorly sensitive. Poorly sensitive. 98% specific. 
55% sensitivity. And that, of course, you know, changes each year, right? Dr. Hussein, tell us more about that. Sure. So oftentimes I'll be asked about this test. You talk about the specificity and sensitivity. During flu season, the sensitivity is actually going to be better uh, as opposed to not in flu season. There's a little bit of controversy around the swab because there's different types as well that are potentially more sensitive uh, than some of the numbers that we quoted. Sure. The other test you can do here is a molecular assay, and this is the RT-PCR. This is your RVP or right. VRP, whatever you want to call it. There's many different yeah. versions of it. Um, all the same thing. They are the most sensitive and specific tests for influenza, um, greater than the 90s percents for sensitivity and specificity. It takes several hours. Um, it's not cheap. In a lot of places, it can be upwards of a several hundred dollars. But it differentiates the type of influenza strains present. When are we doing this test, Dr. Hussein? <laughs> the problem is we are doing this test. <laughs> <laughs> That's the problem. Um, and by that, I mean in the inpatient setting, right? We're not doing it in the ER, obviously, but I think there's controversy as to whether we even should be doing this on the inpatient side um, if we know what's going on uh, with the patient. Clearly, it, it helps when you know, you're getting this test in the undifferentiated patient and the patient where you don't necessarily know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've even seen this test be ordered when you have a rapid antigen test that's positive. So, um, you know, it should not be done reflexively, but certainly in undifferentiated patients um, and folks that are immunocompromised or have some of those risk factors that we talked about, you can consider doing it. Yeah, in my view, I always, you know, as an emergency doctor, I think of, is it going to change management or not? Um, Right. I'm going to go on a limb and just say this. If you're discharging a patient, you should not be getting an RT-PCR. It's an absurd waste of money, and it's an absurd cost of, you know, raising costs of healthcare dollars. To diagnose some sort of rhinovirus would, (laughs) based on that test, is what I call (laughs) suboptimal. The best is when they have droplet precautions for rhino. I'm like, oh boy, watch out. (laughs) We have an antibiotic-resistant rhinovirus. <laughs> I heard it's even resistant to azithromycin. Oh, my gosh. No, let's not get into... Oh, boy. Not oh. get into what? Um, antibiotic <laughs> stewardship? Yeah. So let's keep going. So who are we testing here just to sum up with this RVP stuff? We don't, we're not trying to preach how you should clinically practice, but there are some guidelines here. If you have a sick-looking patient, as Dr. Hussein said, undifferentiated sick-looking and they're going to the ICU, they have a fever, it's not unreasonable to think about this unless you have a clear source of the infection. Of course, immunocompromised patients, this would be helpful. Certain you know, patients that are pregnant in certain situations, we think about this. Um, otherwise, though, you know, general treatment of the flu, it's straightforward. Mothers have been doing it for centuries. Supportive management, Tylenol, hydration, you can't go wrong. Every other age-old home remedy that's been around for centuries. What is the pharmacologic treatment? This is where it gets controversial. This is where your board questions are going to come from. You want to be aggressive with doing antivirals. We're not going to really get into the whole controversy surrounding Tamiflu here. The boards are going to be expecting you to follow CDC's guidelines. So when we get into some of the pharmacological treatments, it's key to know the different types. You have Zinimavir, which is an IV form. You have Ostelimavir, which is, again, like Tamiflu. Uh, Perimavir, but really Zenimavir and Tamiflu are the two key ones to know. They're all neuraminidase inhibitors. And oh, was that was that your reminder to take your Tamiflu? <laughs> yes, that actually was. That was actually the ping from the actual makers of Tamiflu, uh, reminding <laughs> us to plug it 
for this podcast. Oh my god! If so only we're sponsored by Tamiflu. <laughs> They all, right. they all block viral exit from infected cells. All, all of these are active against both A and B. So we've all heard of the studies behind this. We're not getting into the controversy around it. We're just going to tell you what you need to know. Again, the CDC is pretty aggressive about using these antivirals. So the benefits can be a shortened duration of flu-like illness for potentially one to two days. The drug has to be started within the first 48 hours, although if you look at CDC guidelines, they've kind of stretched it out to the first three days as well, potentially. But again, you feel like it. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, For boards, at least the first uh, two days is when it's of maximal benefit. But That doesn't mean you shouldn't necessarily be giving it folks who have a lot of other comorbidities. And again, uh, there's some data out there that shows that it potentially uh, could help with flu-related complications. But there are a lot of studies that show it doesn't as well. So when it comes to some of the adverse effects, you're talking about severe nausea and vomiting, funny enough, more than the flu. What? Uh, Yeah, I know. So who gets these flu medications? You're looking at any age, really. Um, You're dosing it, obviously, in kids uh, with oral Tamiflu. The CDC and the APA, they're fine with birth through adulthood for these types of medications. And again, you should be aggressive with them, mainly because the CDC says you should be aggressive with them. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we're not going to get into the whole Atlantic article. Come on, come on, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. The dark myth group. We're not getting into all that drama. Hold me back. Hold me back. Doing it. Hold me back. Doctor Briggs back. I'm holding (laughs) Doctor Briggs back. Can I say one sentence, please? Please. Just stop. We're not, no, we're please. not getting I'm, into this. I'm, I'm feeling right. feisty. Come on. Go go into complications. We're moving on. Again, remember Zinamavir, especially IV, and then remember Tamiflu as well. You they should be suck. aggressive using these medications, especially in folks who have comorbidities. The boards will present you with someone who has a ton of comorbidities, and they're outside of that two-day window. You should still be giving them uh, these medications uh, based on CDC recommendations. God. All right. Get into the complications. Why did I pick this topic? <laughs> This is where all the test questions come from, Tamiflu and the complications. So who's the most affected? Elderly people. They're the classic patients in the board stems. They are the most commonly affected. They're the most commonly to die from the flu and the most tested on boards. So secondary infections, pneumonia. Pneumonia is the most common cause of complications worldwide for the flu. Right, but you have to know what you're treating here Ooh. and this is bread and butter i would tell you there's probably a 30 percent chance you're going to see this on your boards Ooh, look at that and the cause is going to be everyone's favorite staph aureus come on out come on to the stage <laughs> you got to know it and they're going to ask you on the boards they'll give you a strap and some of these other things but you have to know staph aureus i mean this is a gimme on the boards and frankly in real life as well yeah so especially the fact that the x-ray in this patient's Question stem had a focal consolidation, which is concerning for a cavitary lesion or a cavitary pneumonia. Um, sure. So that's going to be vancomycin, vancomycin, vancomycin. So that's the right. answer choice here. That was choice C. Vancomycin is a primary antibiotic of choice, and that is why it was the answer. Choice E said the most common complication of influenza is meningitis. I'm hoping most people didn't put that. Um, meningitis is rare. You need to watch for it. So if a guy comes in with a fever, they had confirmed flu, and now they're CNS altered, you got to think about meningitis immediately. The most common cause of post-flu meningitis is actually HSV, herpes. I guess they're friends, flu and herpes. 
but um <laughs> one just sticks with you longer oh that was too too much why can you say things like that and i can't talk about tamiflu <laughs> i was making a joke I'm, i just didn't want to get into the whole controversy <sighs> really it's not did. controversy you know our supporters want us to take a stand we're not no our stand is just go ahead and give tamiflu follow what the cdc says that's our stand for boards we defer here we, we defer, defer here yes yeah, so i follow dr. what cdc says for my patients doc oh you're gonna pull that one i am, I am. so dr you're saying it's 100 right these these questions are unfortunately on the boards that's the way things are just remember the big questions are going to come from post-flu staph aureus pneumonia and you need to worry about giving these antiviral medications. Rewind if you want to hear everything Ildefat said, because that is actually going to be a lot of where your test questions are coming from. They want you to be aggressive as possible. We talked about testing for the flu when you test. We talked about the clinical presentation. And, of course, we talked about the epidemiology. Hey, I, I just got a text from Tamiflu Incorporated. <laughs> <laughs> no, it turns out I'm being wiretapped. <laughs> hey, guess how many people died from the 1918 flu? Millions. Try 50. Wow. That's massive. <laughs> it's massive. So the crazy thing about this, I may have said this before in our, um, I did a flu podcast last year. Uh, that's when you were um, on tour with uh, The Who, actually, in India, I remember. But the big yeah. thing with the flu that was interesting was um, I gave some little epi stats. And uh, this is totally useless info, but it just makes your mind just like melt. So World War One just was ending in 1918. And... That cost about 20 to 25 million lives over four years. And then you have the Spanish flu come in and wipe out 50 to 70 million people. Amazing. <laughs> in nine weeks. Amazing. So you lose about whatever, how many people, 90 to 100 million people in four years. I cannot even fathom. Yeah, it was uh, not a good time to be alive then. Not a good time. And here we are arguing about Tamiflu. Let's count our blessings this holidays. That's what I call first world problems. <laughs> no, first world problems is your coffee situation. <laughs> Look, don't don't hate on my. Should I have the Colombian beans <laughs> or the Venezuelan beans? <laughs> Look, you have to know where the beans come from. They have to be, you know, from one farm, one family. It's important. You got to know where the beans come from. All right, let's take it out. And that's another board bomb delivered. <laughs> Remember to sign up on our website, emboardbombs.com, for future episodes, new content, and updates. Again, that's emboardbombs.com. It's free to sign up, and we've got some great forms there that'll make you look like a rock star in your next shift. Print them out for your colleagues, for your loved ones, especially for this holiday season. A lot of time went into those. Remember to find us on Twitter at EMBoardBombs. Sign up and also look for us on Instagram. Drop us an Apple review as well. If you don't want to drop us an Apple review, you really shouldn't listen to us anymore. But that's okay. That's your choice. That's your choice. Let's take it out. Peace. Adios. Adios.